0: Like to welcome everybody to Political Ish today. Uh, Political Ish. Why do I have problems with that name, man? Um, <laughs> English isn't my first language. Um, today, we have a really uh, special guest. It's uh, former Assemblyman Mike Gatto. Uh, Mike served in the Assembly. You did. You did six years?
1: I did four terms and seven legislative years.
0: Seven legislative years, man. You were a chair of appropriations. That was fun.
1: Yes. That was a good
0: one. Um, yeah, you're probably one of the smartest members that I, that I dealt with there.
1: Now, for um, those of I mean, you listening at home, that's an insult. No, I know that. Uh, <laughs> tell me all the time. That is, that is how in <laughs> Sacramento, that's how they insult you. You, you, you yeah. really, uh, the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> yeah. Just ask. Yeah,
0: yeah, just ask. You're the only guy I know. I remember when I met you one time at this lobster place. What was that? Rudy's. I think I met you at Rudy's. And uh, I don't know, I don't know, we went to talk about something, and he brought a briefcase. And I'm like, what the fuck? You brought a <laughs> briefcase to a meeting at a lobster house, man. I'm like, that's
1: good. Well, I had the launch codes in there, you know? So, uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> the football. The football. That actually is a really good segue. Because today we're going to be doing something different. Today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the top six cliches in, in, in film and TV on politics. That sounds kind of vague, um, but you know, Mike and I have been tossing this about for a while, and it's kind of interesting because what people um, what people take in through film and and television are often so different than how the industry actually works, and um, it seems like there are just some cliches that if you're in the political industry, it drives you crazy to watch it, and um, I think that's what we're going to discuss today, right, Mike?
1: Yeah, and um, your production crew tells me that this is a very momentous occasion because this is going to be your first non-bleeped uh, podcast. That's right.
0: I'm bleep-free.
1: So oh, I'm expecting no. some good shit?
0: I heard, yeah. <laughs> Damn All scary.
1: right, just testing it. Just testing it. <laughs> yeah. And also, I, I should I should uh, disclose to you and to anybody who is watching or listening that um, I was raised without television, so this is a very tough mm-hmm. assignment for me. Um, I uh, was raised completely without any media of any kind
0: until what age?
1: Oh gosh, I think by the time we were teenagers, we all rebelled, and you know we'd watch and we went to our friends' houses or whatever. But um, yeah, but it was really weird when I got married. You know, my wife uh, had to say, "Well." She, she'd say some reference, you know, I'm, I'm of Italian heritage and she'd say, oh, it's just like Rocky. would say, what do you mean? And she would she had to show me Rocky. Um, <laughs> still have not seen Star Wars to this day.
0: I um, have not either.
1: Oh I mean, my God.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's kind of why you and I kind of hit it off because uh, we both were raised, like I didn't really have television until I was, I think 12, 13. Wow. Well, for different reasons. Yours was because you were raised in a cult and uh, it's okay. <laughs> uh mine mine was uh i grew up in the military and so i grew up overseas in japan and turkey and um the military television didn't well in japan we didn't have any so we had japanese television but i didn't watch it because it was just in japanese and then when i was in junior high i was in turkey and um Television. You're saying you're
1: you're not a, a fan of Turkish cinema? Is that, is that no. what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Legendary Turkish cinema? I mean, you no,
0: know, Turkish cinema leaves me wanting. Yeah, uh, I see. It's I always see. the same plot. Yeah. Um, so I I the television in our in our house didn't come on till five o'clock. Armed forces, uh, radio and television didn't come on until the afternoon, yeah. which honestly was maybe one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. Totally um, was was that I actually had to read a lot to entertain myself and go and do stuff. Um, and TV started at five and it would come on at five and then go off at midnight. I'm sorry. You're going to say something along those lines. No, I was
1: just going to say that's, that's, uh, I totally agree. I think, um, raising a child to be more inquisitive and to have to read and everything like that, you know, but problem is that it it can make you the smartest guy in the room. That's the the risk. I I know.
0: I I appreciate, uh, your (laughs) compliment. Um, so no you weren't raised in a cult your father was an artist right
1: he was my dad was an artist public school teacher and uh, my mother just sort of predated the my parents were not hippies by any stretch but my mom just sort of like in the 1970s she was talking about organic food and like I you know I don't know if people really know the history of organic food but it wasn't really a thing until like 2000 right so just we, we grew almost everything we ate uh, all produce I mean not like wheat and stuff like that but uh, my parents were just very uh, You're just, you
0: were you were the house in the cul de sac with the-
1: <laughs> <and> the- yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah with with the trees you know like uh, tanning the peaches <laughs> during the summer yeah that was us that
0: was us it was that us. you
1: wow. that was
0: that, that's pretty cool yeah. Yeah. in in what yeah. Silver Lake.
1: In Silver Lake, yeah. Like
0: a barley Field in Silver Lake. <laughs> real estate prices were a little different.
1: Yeah, they were. They Real estate prices were, yeah. You live, what they were,
0: yeah. Do you live near that uh, the, uh, the nunnery that I guess Katy Perry bought?
1: Yes. So, walking distance to that property, um, I've walked by many times trying to catch a glimpse of Katy Perry, but alas, no one. <laughs> <well. laughs>
0: or the nuns. Yeah. No, yeah. Well. Um, no they're yeah. gone now, right? She took it over
1: yeah I think so i'm I'm not sure if the litigation is finally resolved, but mm-hmm. um pretty sure she's gone. all right well, they're gone
0: uh, all right well that, that was that was fun Mike um so what we're gonna do here though is we have a top six, but gonna be no particular order right i mean not one is not as bad as the other to me, these are all sins they're all yes. on the same they're all along the same line um and I, I'm sure it's the same as a as a police officer watching Law & Order. I'm sure stuff that they watch on that drives them crazy. But you know, I was doing a little research and I couldn't find anything um, on YouTube or the internet or anything about the worst political tropes or the worst political cliches in media. Not media, sorry, not the news. I'm talking about film and television. I couldn't find any. So we might be, uh, how do we say, sui generis.
1: Wow, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Got I some Latin to start things off, folks. The audience is asleep. Yeah, but, you know, let me throw right. some Latin down on that bit. Um,
0: so, um, yeah, I'm bleep free, bleep free.
1: I, I know. I'm excited. I feel
0: so free. It's like a weight has been lifted off of my epiglottis. I should rephrase that. Um, so, uh, are you ready? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna lead off. So these you are off. these are cliches, tropes that. Uh, film and TV like to use about politics, or you know what? Some of these might be kind of reverse, and that is they don't use that are a huge part of our lives um, as a legislator and as a lobbyist. And those are the angles that we're going to be taking at this. Or one is a you know a legislator, politician, and a lobbyist. Um, so what's my what's my first one? Um, this is really this is really hard and it's hard to and it it came about. So my first one is, and it came about because a client of mine who I love, but she said, Dave, you gotta watch Miss Sloan, and she's like the fifth person who told me to watch Miss Sloan. And you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it, you're a lobbyist, you're gonna love it. And and I watched it and I was like, that is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I feel bad because I know she loves it, right? But if you're in the business and you watch Miss Sloan. You, like, I don't know. Am I the only one? Um, but the way they talk. So the way they talk in Miss um, Sloan, for example, does not mimic or does, does not in any way resemble how actual lobbyists talk. And obviously, when we run this, we'll have a clip um, that we could put right here. There we go which shows uh, Miss Sloane giving a speech and talking to her crew. I mean, one of the worst is where she's talking to the lobbying firm that she's gonna leave, right? And, and she sounds like Cicero before the Senate on crack, right? So <laughs> um, if Cicero were on crack giving a speech to the Senate, that's how she sounds. Who was the guy that did those things that I hate? Um, who's that writer? People love him, but his, his deal is people always talk over each other.
1: Uh, not James Outroy. Somebody like no, that. Or, no, no, oh, no. oh, um, um he, he's a very prolific writer, writes all the thrillers and stuff.
0: Yeah, and his deal is yeah, I know his, his characters always talk over one another, and it's always like really smart and really sassy and yeah. Aaron Sorkin. There we go.
1: Yes. Well it's funny that you mentioned it's yeah. funny that you mentioned like Aaron your Sorkin. No, no, not, it was not my neighbor. But, um, and it's funny that you mentioned this as your first, uh, your biggest on-screen beef with the way that the political and lobbying uh, world is portrayed, because we came up with the exact same first one. We did. Uh, Yes, mine is that, uh, I call it West Wing syndrome. Um, You know, you have these scenes in the West Wing where the staff and the elected official are are sitting around having these self-important grandiloquent policy discussions. And the thing is that actually spawned a whole character in my world because I can't tell you how many douchey young males sent me resumes that, which clearly were inspired by the West Wing, where they said, uh, you know, I, I, in the interview, I'd say, well, what what kind of work do you want to do? I want to be your policy advisor. And, and it was just like, you know, first of all, you know, I you know, we had roughly a staff of 15. Uh, we would have guys be like, I, I don't want to go to events down in the district. I want to be a policy advisor. And we'd have guys in the Capitol saying, I, I, I don't want to work on bills. I want to be a policy advisor. And it was like, well, first of all, I'm a grown man. I've been in politics for 25 years. I know my positions on policy by and large. Uh, secondly, if I need to read up on an issue, I'll Google it. Right. But the West Wing had all these like young guys who like would tell the president, oh, by the way, they grow corn in Iowa. And they'd have this big discussion on it. Right. And that is so false.
0: Yeah. No, that's that. You're exactly right. It created this this um, archetype um, that honestly, if they do work in your office, everybody's probably thinking about how to get rid of them. (laughs)
1: Um, <laughs> right. How do I avoid discussing uh, modern monetary theory with Jim? <laughs>
0: yeah, Jim. Jim walks in with his. Uh, what's that little thing that guys wear? That hip guys wear around their shoulders. Oh yes, uh, the, messenger the, uh, bag. He's got a messenger bag.
1: No, the the man purse, the Merce. Oh, the Merce. Yeah, the Merce. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and his little his little tight suit, and he starts right. you know talking about yeah, a little tidy tie with the guy yeah. that got elected. Um, right no. or,
1: or, or saying i've got a 30 page i've got a 30 page uh you know policy paper for you on uh how california's gaming revenue should be used better okay i'll get right on that <laughs> you know there's there's no other forces that play into that as you know did you right?
0: really have people do that did people really oh. present you with papers
1: oh my god i had guys well first of all you know there's a little bit of dunning-kruger effect here too where, where you know there was a there's a, in this cohort, these guys also think that they're brilliant. They think that they're extremely polished because, you know, they buy a fancy suit and they think they can go in after, you know, a master's degree and understand the nuance of how policymaking is done in the Capitol. And you know, that if if the world only knew about the brilliance of some policy, you know, a a new cap and trade system that we would just snap our fingers and get it done. And that's not how politics works as you all know.
0: Yeah, not, and I can I can tell for listeners who aren't in the industry how do lobbyists talk like we're talking now, um, yep. except maybe when we're in the business. I mean, when we're at work, we might have a little more of a sales pitch, you know, to it. Uh, but it we use regular words, um, we toss in some words of the issue that we're talking about. But honestly, if we if we tried to talk to people the way that, for example, the Miss Sloan character did um, in that movie like people wouldn't listen to you. They're like, who does this guy think he is? Um, and you probably, you know, people would move on because you're just a little too douchey. So yeah, so my, the first one I want to throw out there, this is one, the way speech is portrayed in film and television does not really um, go along with how speech is uh, in, in real life uh, for politicians and, and lobbyists, particularly lobbyists because we, we're just, really, you know, we're not that brilliant. And we don't talk like we're characters on an Aaron, Aaron Sorkin set. So there you go. The and reality,
1: the reality is, too, is that, um, you know, really skilled relationships are skillful at developing relationships. And I can't even describe it because, by the way, I don't have that trait. Um, you know, but the best lobbyists are really skillful at developing relationships. I guess you could say, like, second or third rate lobbyists are really just good at kissing ass. Um, now, my theory why you are such a good lobbyist is because it was just the opposite. You never kissed ass. It, it was just the opposite. You gave me yeah. shit. It you was like, you know, I, 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 if I walked into, an, into some event with 20 lobbyists, you know, 19 would walk up to me and say, oh, Mike, you know, uh, you look so good at that shirt. And you would walk up and be like, what, uh, was the gym closed in your neighborhood? Uh, what, what, uh, 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 do you have some sort of disease? Your arms look a little small there, Mike, right? Yeah. And, and as weird as that was, like, I knew you were being real. And, yeah. um, but, but that's again, lobbyists, they don't talk like in this
0: Why? i appreciate that and i appreciate both of us talking about my lobbying career in the past tense that makes me feel really well <laughs> um, I didn't, say <laughs> <past tense. laughs> but no i honestly take pride in the fact that i have never kissed ass would not kiss ass um but i do notice it and i think you're right i think it is i think you see a lot of like second third tier and i think that they figure that's the way that they can ingrati- ingratiate themselves kind of up the ladder
1: although a question for you is that. Uh, you know i mean there are some delicate egos in this business right and um and i was always the type where i want somebody to be real with me i don't i don't want somebody kissing my butt but i imagine that you do encounter a few politicians and i i can think of a couple i'm not going to mention their names
0: oh no where, i won't where they their could names. they
1: couldn't deal with even friendly like i i think of one guy in particular who's in the state senate where if you went up to him and said you know you gained some weight he'd get very upset it would uh <laughs> that might not be the best interaction with somebody with who's got an ego like that
0: yeah i, I think the rule is know your audience yeah but yes uh there are definitely some people and we could talk about that on a different show Yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> once i am past tense i can't wait yeah. to have that show right. so um let's move on to number two my- All right,
1: well i already gave my my i guess number two which was the west wing complex but i'll throw out a number three which is um uh what i call the the you know the, the biggest trope or on-screen portrayal that is false about the political world which is the quid pro quo conversations and this is something where uh, you know frankly if these occurred in real life you'd have a lot more perp walks than you do now uh, you'd have a lot more uh, corruption investigations because frankly things like this are very highly illegal and they make the job of the fbi very easy uh, and this is best epitomized by the character of Remy Danton on House of Cards. Uh, for those of you who don't remember the name, this is a this was a very suave, very polished African American lobbyist who had a very, very good relationship with Frank, played by uh, Kevin Spacey. And now we all know very polished lobbyists like this. Uh, but that there was one conversation that was just burned and seared in my memory. This is when House of Cards was at its peak, and the character goes up to Frank in the halls of Congress and says, "You know." We gave two million to your reelection. We expect you to vote this way. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that doesn't happen. Uh, that that the voiced quid pro quo, it just doesn't really happen like that.
0: Day. Yeah, um, that was also on my list. That was on one of my. Uh, <laughs> that was one of my honorable mentions. But um, the idea that that happens on a regular basis is not good for our industry. But if you watch film and television, um, like Clay Davis in The Wire, who is one of my favorite characters of all time, that guy was Best so amazing. Character. Yeah. And we'll we'll put a little bit of his uh, artistry in right now, um. But Clay Davis, I mean, you know his his over the top. You know, if you want to get this on the wharf, then you got to take care of my, you know, like. <laughs> Honestly, I've been in this business over 20 years. I have never – the only time I've ever been near something like that was an accident, and it was with like a client who was you know, fresh to the business, never had a lobbyist before, never even was around politics, and they might have said something accidentally that was close to that. And you say, hey, no, that's – you can't talk like that, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I had no idea. Probably because they watch these films and shows, right? And they think that that's just... And you're like, hey, that's... And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. That was an accident. I didn't even know. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you watch film and television, you think this happens all the time. It happens so infrequently that when it does happen, everything falls apart, everything freezes, and people go to prison.
1: Oh, yeah. And I can tell you a story, and I have never told this before. And, and uh, this is a story that I think sort of underlines how the exception makes the rule. Uh, When I was chair of appropriations, uh, for those of you listening who don't know, it's a very powerful committee. You get uh, basically to weigh in on 80 to 90 percent of the bills that go through the legislature and you can stop them. It's the closest thing to a legislative veto that the legislature has. When I was chair of that committee, um, there was a bill on a just totally, totally easy motherhood and apple pie subject. It was on the testing of Beagle's ears, right? Beagles have very soft ears, and people use them in cosmetics, and this was a proposed ban. Oh my God, was that Judy Mancuso? Was that skill? Was that that Beagle freedom? I I, I believe it was. I believe this was Judy when she was first involved, and and there was a, a guy from the Los Angeles area who ran the bill. Motherhood and apple pie, something I believe in, and it came before appropriations, but it had to cost the state, so it went on suspense, which means the bill was temporarily suspended, and there's a big question mark whether the chair is going to let the bill out in cal in uh California legislative vernacular. So there's a lobbyist who was involved at the time. Uh I don't remember his name. He was to call him a fourth-rate lobbyist, he was a tenth-rate lobbyist. He was older and he had a reputation for drinking a lot. And he sent an email, and the email came to my staff at like two in the morning, and it was pretty clear that he was drunk. And he said, in writing, what's it gonna take to get this bill out? for the chair, uh, do I have to throw him a fundraiser across the street? Tell us what, he, what we got to do to get this. And, and we were like blown away, like, like brain blown away like that somebody would do this and talk about an email. But this is what I had to do. So I talked to my staff and I said, well, you know, we, we've got to do something here. And we went to legislative council, lawyers who advise the legislature. I want to say the FPPC, which is the Fair Political Practices Commission and the FBI. And we said, guys, we got this email, kind of weird, kind of scary, uh, very bizarre, you know, tell us your advice. And the, the, the lawyers came back and, and they did some research and they said, look, if you let this bill pass, somebody can always come back and say you did it because of his promise to hold a fundraiser. And if you, no matter what you do, uh, even if he doesn't do the fundraiser, it'll look like the promise of a quid pro quo. And I said, well, what are you saying? They said, you need to hold the bill. So I had to take a bill on Beagle testing. And I've never told this story before. That to me, was something I firmly believe in. Stop testing on Beagle's ears, right? Stop testing on Beagle's period. And I had to hold the bill. And it was because of this weird email, which I still have a copy of. And um, it was- I bet it's in that
0: briefcase. (laughs) It's in the briefcase.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Do I know this lobbyist? I don't think so. I don't think he's any longer in the business, what? but I'll tell you, Clown. I'll tell you what your mind is probably thinking. If you really want to kill a bill, you just got to go make some email like that.
0: Happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. wise, man, wise man. Cat's paw. Right. Um, wow, man. I, that is a good story. Uh, poor beagles. How many beagles. beagles suffered because this guy got drunk and <laughs> sent the damn email? Yeah. Um, wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. But again, That's how rare it is. Again, twenty years, I have never heard nor witnessed nor anything even close, except you know some some new client who threw it out there in a conversation, like when I was onboarding him, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not how things are done here. Oh, okay, I get it. All right, right, thanks. But that's it. Like, but if you watch TV and film, oh my God, this is happening. You know, around every corner. And again, you know, when it does happen um, with the folks that we all know, um, they're carted off. Uh, you know, in handcuffs and you don't see them for a while. That's how rare it is Um, in every, you know, 15 years or so, you know, someone makes a mistake, but but yeah. So, okay. So we have one, how lobbyists talk, how politicians talk, the West wing syndrome or the Aaron or the Aaron Sorkin syndrome. Syndrome, Um, And then secondly, the um, lack of quid pro quo that actually occurs in real life I'm going to throw my third one out. And this is one that I hate. Okay. So this is number three, the rumpled political consultant guru. (laughs) Oh my God. If I see this one again, uh, epitomized Uh, by what is it? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like look at that guy. And that is what they all think, right? They all think they walk around like Philip Seymour Hoffman, talk like Philip Seymour Hoffman. And they always have like a hat or a cigar or a rumpled, you know, uh, a raincoat that they wear, you know, in every every for every occasion. They always they've always got something, right? They've always got their Mr. Peanut, you know, either their hat or their cane, <laughs> right? Um, in all my years, I have yet to meet, and there might be some, right? I just didn't run across them. But most political consultants are not some gurus that walk around, speak in semi-code throwing out gems, you know, of Yoda-esque, you know, right. <laughs> wisdom. No, they're just dudes who go, we need more money for mail.
1: <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> or, oh my God, females? that is so true. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, I mean, there, there is no Oracle of Delphi, although a lot of them, you know, are they clearly aware are. of this archetype. And they want to they feed into it. Uh, but I think that's a little cheesy and, um, and those guys are often not that good. The 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 average political consultant, even the very good ones, will tell a candidate like me, "You got to raise more money, so we can do more voter contact." That's my advice. That's it. (laughs) That's right. That's it.
0: That's the special sauce. You need to make. You need to raise more money, (laughs) so I can print more mail, right? Or if it's a if it's a bigger race, you know, so I can do radio and television. But you know uh, you, i think it all started back with a movie called the candidate with robert redford back in how was it 70 71 i um, mean he had a political back when of, you
1: were in your 40s I you mean
0: oh that's funny man that was good okay yeah hold up. i'm sorry i wasn't born yet it's coming snap crackle pop bitch oh
1: no Um, so he
0: played he played uh uh, paul zara peter zara anyway he he played i think he was the first one to really play this all-knowing rumpled you know sits in the back seat of the car with the candidate you know he's behind stage looking out while the guy's giving the speech and then you got like robert de niro and wag the dog you know he came along and he had the hat And he's putting stuff together in the same way, you know, in this quirky genius. Um, And then, of course, you know, you had um, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Ides of March, which was good. Um, And he uh, played the the same type of role. But it's been replicated. And I think it's something out there. You know who might have been closest to it is James Carville. Sure. James Carville a little bit. But all he had really was an accent. And he was married to a Republican.
1: But maybe Dick Morris at his peak. But here's the question that I ask you, because you have funded a number of independent expenditures and you know, you've been around this just as often as I have. Do you think that to some degree there has been inflation in the political consulting industry that these guys are commanding what they can command because there is this perception of this godlike guru, like, you know, uh, gee, we got to pay this guy a million dollars to do this big statewide campaign because he or she is so brilliant
0: um do i think there's been inflation yeah yeah oh absolutely 100 um do i think that they know anything do i think that they know things that can't be learned by 35 percent of the people in the industry no and um why do i think there's inflation because they have a name and I think that politicians run out of fear, often—not always, but often—and so they feel we have to get that person, uh, we have to get that woman uh, because she did this, can't she did that initiative, and she knows this. So I'm going to pay whatever it takes, right, to get her. Sure, and then sure. guy B over here sees that and goes, "Well, they're paying her, right? Right. 1.5. You need to pay me at least 1.5. Any anyway, it's right. like city managers, right?" Yeah. <laughs> the city manager we, we, from Roseville points at the city manager from Berkeley and goes, well, he's making that. I got to make this. Right. And it's this ever, ever escalating, you know, um, deal. What, I'm sorry. say yeah, my- we, you
1: know, we see that. We see that a lot in the world of law as well, where you have, uh, you know, somebody at a corporation who's in charge of hiring lawyers and, and uh, you know, if they hire a and Myers, nobody's ever going to second guess the result. Uh, you know, you lose the big case. Well, look, we hired the best firm and, uh, they lost uh it was just the law was against us but if you hire some like third rate firm or some you know unheard of firm and they lose a case they're going to say why did you hire that person Mm. Um, so yeah i mean we see that we see that all around but uh but it's fascinating because um some of these uh some of these political consultants clearly in the movies and on tv are portrayed as like you know sort of a justifiable god complex because they are really gods or gurus and uh you know, show me that person and I'll hire him. But yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: and I'm only speaking for California, um, I can't speak for federal, um, but I can tell you, um, the way that they are portrayed in film and television does not comport to what happens in real life in California. Um, right. the, the political consultants are just really kind of regular guys, they're like general contractors, um, they put the play together. And at but at the end of the day, it seems to me, my practice has been, and maybe I'm missing out on things, I, I'm open to that. Um, But my, my practice, not my practice, but my experience has been that essentially they're telling you, you need to raise more money so we can do more voter contact. And um, I think a lot of people can figure that out. But, you know, I really feel about that. that, I know we're getting a little off subject here, but I always want to say this to, to people. And that is that, you know, lobbyists, political consultants, everything. There's no secret. I mean, there's no there's no secret sauce to this. And really what we know is the lexicon. So we know the sure. language of the business, right? Um, and especially with political consultants. Political consultants know the language of the elections, they know the language of the electorates, and they can use those words in the right spots to convince the clients, oh, this guy knows. This guy knows. Well, I, I don't know if they necessarily know but they know the words and well, I I the lexicon I your, is part
1: of it. Yeah. I think your general contractor analogy is a good one. A good general contractor, just like they know, they know a really good plaster they know a really good carpenter. They know a really good plumber. They can put the project together and they know that things are going to, you know, they keep things running on time. That's the same thing with a good, you know, political consultant. They, they know how to get a guy who can send text messages and a gal who can design the best mail and somebody who can, you know, get this or that endorsement. And they put the pieces together. And I, I think there's a tremendous value, but I also agree with the concept that it's not brain surgery. And uh, the way that it's portrayed in the media is inaccurate. Or yeah. not the media, the you know TV and uh, t- cinematic portrayals, I guess is yeah, what yeah. I'm talking about. So right, I'll, go to, I'll go Good to word. my uh, number four, right? Mm-hmm. Which is um, sort of a corollary to the way that political consultants are portrayed. And I think many members of, and in this case, I am talking about the media. Uh, I've seen them tweet about this and I agree with it. You know, with those tweets where it's like, how my mom thinks my industry is, how, my, how, how the, I'm portrayed on TV, and how it really is, and how it is today, like those four tweets. Uh, you know, there, there is another trope within uh, the cinematic portrayals of the world of politics, which is the crusading investigative journalist, right? Uh, in many cases, it's a very young, naive um, somewhat naive and idealistic, uh, attractive young actress who they get to oh, portray. Oh, you're it. right. And, and in other times, it's a young, crusading, driven, heroic yeah. young male uh, actor who they get to portray it. But yeah. it's this crusading gumshoe, right? Who, who your Watergate, um, yeah, Tides of March, is,
0: actually, yeah, yeah. You're a right. A little
1: bit naive, a little bit idealistic, and it's like you know. I mean, first of all, um, investigative journalism is is a lot more in depth and difficult than they make it look. You know, it's not just uh, going out with a pad and talking to one source and uh, that source feeding you an envelope in the dark. And then now you've got the goods on some politician. It's more like from my friends in the media have told me it is like pouring through hours and hours of, of uh, campaign finance reports and then running it through a database to find out who's a developer, even though you said you want to take money from developers and then correlating that and then you know, doing a story for you know three months and maybe finally getting it in press. It's very different from the way it's portrayed on screen.
0: You know what I mean? As I look back on a lot of the political movies and television shows, I mean, there almost always is a idealistic um, journalist who's, you know, one of the protagonists in that. Almost always, like West Wing, right? Well, um, I, House of Cards.
1: I, I'm, thrown, I forget. That, her name. I'm sorry. That's what I was.
0: That's what I meant to say. House of no. Cards. Um, yeah. Watergate, of course. Um, but yeah, they're they're everywhere. They're all in there. Damn you. Speaking of that, (laughs) speaking of that, I just, uh, God darn it. I I just heard, I was listening to a talk show earlier today and they talked about the Sacramento Bee is, you know what I'm going to talk about?
1: You're talking about how the Sacramento Bee essentially announced that they're going to tie part of the journalist pay to the clicks that their stories. Is that the death
0: of journalism? Is that noise? I just heard journalism falling over dead.
1: Well, by the way, I was told, I want to say two years ago by somebody at another major paper that shall remain unnamed that their paper already did that. This was two years ago. Well that's a shot then.
0: Is that a major? I was shocked.
1: It it's just, you know, it, it's amazing because you know, you look at the stories I'll get cl- clicks in California. It's like Kim Kardashian's tips for, you know, what to wear at the best dresses. Right. At the enemies, right? right. That's very different from like an expose on the effect of money and politics. Right. Or something. Correct. Like that. And so how do you value those valuable stories if you are paying for click?
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the go-to for me is always the scandal and bell, right? The scandal Correct. and bell was because a local reporter who was attending some Boring ass city council meetings started going. Hey, what is this all about? What is this? And started asking questions. Right? And they start asking questions, and they start getting weird answers and getting stonewalled. And you know how the you know how the play is, and then it escalates from there. Oh, they must be trying to hide something. Well, if you're doing, how does the cast of Happy Days look today? Right.
1: Is your Sacramento right. Beat hey, That's the top click story of the day, though, David.
0: Those are often the top click stories, right? Or right, like, right. which cat are you, right? right. Sacramento Beat is going to be going with that shit. Like, how is going to uncover this stuff, right? I know. This is I know. crazy. I, I was like, I must, this must be like the onion, but it's real. Yeah. Um, it's real. So, anyway, you're – I know we got a little sidetracked here, but you're, you're, that might that might be the death of your enterprising young journalist.
1: It might be. It'll yeah. now be, the journalists will be portrayed as, you know, uh, <laughs> writing the witch, cat, or you stories, maybe, which <laughs> won't be a positive development either. Poor journalists. I mean, it's like, they're, they're never yeah, portrayed. I feel
0: them. bad for journalism. I really do. And I, I, I wanted do. to be a reporter back in the day. I was a stringer for the Daily Republic when I was in high school. And even then, even at that point, as a um, high school student, I was like, damn, this is a lot of work for very little money. And I like checked out. Um, but was uh, your
1: was your beat covering the Truman White House or was it Eisenhower at the time? <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you can get I'm sure there's I'm sure it's coming right back at some point. We've been you so know.
0: nice to you. <laughs> you uh, have. That is true. No, I was covering <laughs> high school football games. <laughs> well
1: that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that great.
0: I'd have to write a damn story. Um okay, so my next one, right? So yeah. now that was um the crusading young the crusade they tend to be young, right? Yeah. Uh, the crusading young, wide eyed journalist um, who uncovers or becomes jaded, right? And leaves yeah. the industry because I can't believe that's how, how everything works. Um, okay. So, my next one is. Come uh, on here, man.
1: Well, I can jump in. I mean, um, no. Uh, no. 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 That, that's uh. so you. I
0: swear. <laughs> um, hold on. Okay. I don't want this to come across the wrong way but i don't like you no i'm just kidding Uh, i don't want i don't want this to come across the wrong way one of the cliches that i hate in politics in political movies or, or television shows is how everything is either all good or all bad and usually it's one position is always good and another position is always bad i can say this there was a movie called thank you for smoking um and on that movie they kind of that was one of the best movies i think that kind of played it up a little bit where people on what is normally always the good side you know the don't smoke side even they were a little messed up and and some people on the you should smoke side had some endearing traits and you understood where they were coming from um but usually in in movies um one side is all good and one side is all bad. And usually it's one position, right? Usually it's the Republican and the conservatives are always all bad. And those issues that are assigned to their uh, position, and those issues that are assigned to the progressive are always all good. I'm not saying that there are good on both sides, right? Um, There are good people on both sides usually. um, And I have found in this industry that 15% Fifteen percent is on one side, fifteen percent is on the far other, and then seventy percent is some shade of gray in the middle, and that's where most people fall in in our. That's window.
1: fascinating because um, you know I hadn't thought about that before, and I have to admit that that is uh, it seems to be a, a truth about the way that things are portrayed on the screen. You know, it's always the uh, the um, you know one type of. I guess you could argue in movies, uh, you know, the, the democratic position is portrayed as sort of innocent and naive and um, pure, whereas the conservative position is portrayed as sinister. Um, I think there, there's definitely some merit to that. You very rarely see a movie where, you know, uh, somebody, uh, you know, a conservative from Nebraska or something like that is portrayed as good and the other side is evil. And that does go against a couple laws of politics, which which I learned very on, very early on, which is, um, you know, to some degree, the only thing you can trust is self-interest. And to some degree, everybody is in this for self-interest. And so, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, people out there who crusade for uh, things that are clean energy, uh, clean energy related, they often will seize the high ground. They'll say, well, this is about... Uh, this is about climate change, this is about whatever, but you might not understand that some of those people are heavily invested in the same industries that they're pushing. And there's very little difference between them and somebody who's invested in one of the incumbent industries. And it just becomes, you know, who is pushing more for who, who, whoever wins is the person who succeeded in pushing more for what they're invested in. You know, and uh, that, yeah, that's a fascinating, fascinating trope that you see on the screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I get it. I think most of the people that write these movies do tend to come from one side of the political spectrum and that's fine. Those people, it's not the people that actually won the war. Um, It's the people that write the books um, who write the history books, right? Those are the stories that are told. And so I get it. They, they tend to come from that side of the spectrum. So they, you know, they're going to put their people in certain positions, but I just think from a film and television perspective, to me, it would make for a much more complex story if I saw some of those people from the other side sometimes being portrayed as the people who had the higher ground. I think that would create a much more uh, dramatic complexity for the story. Right, um, the yeah. guy that actually is, you know, makes cigarettes has some sort of, you know, um, position that we feel compelled to believe in um not necessarily the making of the cigarettes but some other position that he has but anyway you just never see that it just seems to be always these guys good those guys bad and i just think that makes oftentimes one it makes it kind of you know where the movie's going once they tell you what the people do you're like okay i get it that's a good guy that's a bad guy
1: yeah and and by the way there are people listening or watching who are probably like well cigarette makers yeah well they're always really bad but I guess the point that we're both trying to make, or that I'm grudgingly admitting and you made, is that in real life, when you have somebody who might be fighting cigarette smoke or smoking, it's because they're pushing something else to replace it. It could be cannabis, it, 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 cannabis, right. it could be uh, drinking, it could be whatever. But, uh, but in many cases, yeah, yeah, sure, sometimes there's somebody who's doing it for the right reasons. Uh, but in many cases in the real world mm-hmm. you just have competing industries and it's very hard you know as as one veteran of congress put it it's the sugar beet growers versus the sugar cane growers <laughs> the end product is sugar
0: dude you just dated yourself <laughs> I don't <know> about that
1: <laughs> i don't know about
0: that the old beet versus cane war yeah, yeah. yeah I'm familiar yeah. with that that's good yeah. man the beet yeah. versus cane i'm Beat a cane guy cane cane. by the way Always have been you? a cane guy, yeah. Wow, yeah, I was born a cane guy. Hey, it's a long, you know, cane family. I come from a <laughs> long line of canes. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I think what I'm trying to say is, let me give you an example. I'm not going to mention the assembly person's name, but he is often portrayed as protecting tobacco, right? Um, and because he often will say, you know, hey, w- well, I don't want to give his reasons, but whatever his reasons are, right? He um, tends to vote against those types of bills. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm saying that that in the media he was portrayed, right? as bad because he voted for that bill. He's a much more complex guy than one bill. <laughs> you know, he if you look at a lot of, it, of the other things that he supports or bills that he carries, you know they're they're very different, and they actually, you know, try to lift up families and they they do many other things. But in movies and television, these politicians or these lobbyists are, that's all they are. They're all just the bad thing. They don't understand that you are voting on hundreds of bills. You're voting on thousands of bills and lobbyists have, you know, dozens of clients and that just is one, but they also have other, they're much more complex. And I think that what we're seeing is that, that movies and television try to just, it's just too flat. It's just too flat of a caricature.
1: Well, I had, um, I had a, actually a political consultant asked this question, a Democratic political consultant, and he said, why is it that if a member of the legislature, if a Democratic member of the legislature gets a check from Chevron and uh, votes the Chevron position, a journalist, we all know at the end of the year, there's this, the same carbon cutout stories that appear. There'll be a story that is, well, you know, so-and-so took a check from Chevron and then voted against blah, 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 or some clean policy. But there's never the opposite story, which is somebody got a check from the biggest wind turbine manufacturer and voted to promote the wind turbine industry. At the end of the day, it is still somebody arguably uh, shading their position based on a contribution. And what's fascinating about that is, um, you know, I guess somebody could counter and say, well, I believe, you know, somebody out there could counter and say, well, I believe that the, the oil industry is immoral. And that's that's fair for them to make that point. And I, I you know, whatever, that's their viewpoint. Uh, but that's not what the stories are. The story and the portrayal on screen is this industry is evil. And if you make a contribution, it must right. be a, some sort of quid pro quo right. when it's like eh, every industry gives. And um, yeah, it, it's really fascinating. It reminds me of there, there's this, um, there's this follow the money website. I can't remember its name, but it's a household name. And if uh, hopefully you, can, you know what I'm talking about that comes out and it reports on where politicians get their money. And there was some vote that I took. And by the way, for those who don't know, I was a lawyer, a young lawyer, and I ran for office and my friends, because I went to law school, a lot of lawyers and my coworkers were lawyers. So when I was running for office, a lot of people who wrote me money, wrote me checks were lawyers. Right. And I got into office and I voted on some bill. It had something to do with law. And it was like, he got lots of money from lawyers. And I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, like. How could people, how could this Follow the Money website be so stupid to not know that the biggest fights in the Capitol are between trial lawyers and defense lawyers? And they're just like, he got money from lawyers. And it's like, they didn't even look into which, I, you know, and it was like, yeah, and these are my friends. I mean, these are people I went to law school. these are like old buddies of mine. And so, yeah, there, there's very little depth to this portrayal on this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think,
0: I think a much more complex take on characters um, instead of just he bad he or she bad she evil. I think would would go far in helping our industry and as it's portrayed. All right, Mike, yeah. you're gonna
1: you're gonna you're gonna bring this baby bring home. home here. All yeah. right. So I've got a uh, last. No, you don't two, drive I, though. I, do you have a car
0: yet? Honestly, I, I do don't. not, it's not a, a car, joke. You
1: no. don't have a car, right? I don't. I, my my household has one car. My, my wife has a car. I do not have a car. What kind of car it's is been, it? It's uh, been eight years now that I've survived in Los Angeles without a car. Why is that? because uh, that... I'm crazy and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I'm, once I go in for something, I go all in.
0: Uh, okay, all right, and you don't, anyway, you, don't, you don't drink caffeine, right?
1: I don't drink caffeine either. All no. my quirks cut out, this is really not cubes, good. But you eat cubes, <laughs> you want cubes? To chew
0: on cubes of caffeine all day. No, I'm kidding. No. No, no, no. Okay, sorry, okay. go ahead, bring, bring it so, home.
1: So, my last thing is, um, you know, one of the tropes that I think is portrayed on the screen a lot about politics is um, what I call too much attention for low level races. And this is best epitomized by uh, uh, Matt Damon's character in the adjustment bureau where he's running for Congress. And I guess you could call this the one speech makes or breaks you, or that there's lots of polling and low level races. Uh, You have a character who's running for Congress, Matt Damon. And he's talking about how he has image consultants running for the lower house uh, to tell him how, how heavily his shoes should be shined, And also how he's he gives this big speech and like, People notice this one speech and now he becomes the favorite for Congress, like for the seat for two years later. And, and it's like, it's also manifest with like, oh yeah, what do the polls say? And the reality is in these low down-ballot races, and I say this to somebody who's only, who's only ran down-ballot, you might have the money to poll once. If 40 people listen to any one of your speeches, you're doing really well and <laughs> Nobody is paying attention to it. I mean, right. I never had anybody tell me, hey, your shoes are scuffed or your shoes have too much of to a shine on. I mean, it just that's just not how these races work. Yes, if you're running for president, yes, if you're running for governor or senator, yes, they have all these consultants, but you always see this in city council races and you know lower legislative races on TV and on. You're on right, TV. you do. These candidates—it's like one speech makes or breaks them. Yeah. and nobody's paying attention. You're right, nobody's right.
0: And then cares. a rumpled guru walks in, right? right exactly. Philip Seymour <laughs> Hoffman walks in.
1: Shine your <laughs> shoes more. I mean, that that literally that literally happened in this Matt Damon movie. He he starts his right? speech by saying, "Uh, you know, my consultant told me that my shoes were not scuffed enough to look like yeah. a common man." I'm thinking, "Oh my god." Yeah, yeah. No. And
0: you gotta like sugarcane. You're a cane right. guy.
1: Yeah. You've allied yourselves with the Kate industry. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah,
0: yeah that, you know what, you're, you're, you're right. And I haven't paid enough attention to that one. Um, but it, you're right, in film and television, every race, even the mayor's race, even in freaking Parks and Rec, right? The races right. in Parks and Rec are, are looked at like a presidential race, with all the, with the consultants and the polling, I think, I think she television. had polling and, yeah. And it's like, you're right, If even pre-COVID, right? When you gave a speech, I mean, what were there, like 12 people? How is that going to capture a nation, right? There's right, like 12 right. people. Because um, I've been to a lot of political you know, gatherings, and usually it's like 12 to 20 people. They already like you, or they're just eating while you're talking, right? Um, it's kind of like, I mean, in... This isn't one of our six, right? But it's kind of an honorable, honorable mention. It's like the Mr. Smith goes to Washington syndrome deal, right? Where you get up on the floor of Congress, you have some speech and everybody changes their opinion suddenly, right? In, <laughs> yes. in 20 something years, I have seen one time, and you've probably seen a lot more because you're, you were on the floor a lot, right? So you saw a lot of speeches and a lot of votes. I saw once where I saw a person stand up and say, you know what? I actually was gonna vote A, but after hearing this and reading all this, I'm changing my vote to B. I only, I've only seen that once and it was Leroy Green. And uh, it was back in um, like, I think it was 1999, 98. And he got up and said that. And um, that's the only time I've seen it.
1: Yeah, I so I've seen, I've seen that happen five times a year on the floor, maybe 20 times a year in committee. But it's, it's hard to know, is that the result of a speech? Or is that the result of what I call lemming syndrome, where you know lawmakers want to be part of the the victory, they want to be on the winning side, mm-hmm. and occasionally by seeing the passion in their colleagues and seeing like where this is all headed, they sometimes change their position. Is that the speech? Is it because the contents of the speech, or is it because of lemming syndrome? Who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. But if we're expecting that, you know, it to be like Mr. Smith goes to Washington and you know he stands up and everybody you know just kind of the nation follows him and it's just that i have never seen that happen do we Um, have
1: time for one quick anecdote on this
0: oh yeah please man i'm i'm
1: my middle name is anecdote all right so the greatest story ever on this uh this concept this exact concept was told to me by chuck calderon so this is ian calderon's father um, very distinguished career in the legislature and was a mentor to many young members and uh, he said, you know, when I was first elected in 1970-something, Richard Alatorre, another famous member, you know, not as distinguished as, as uh, Mr. Calderon, perhaps because he had some scandal in his later life, but he was also a mentor to Mr. Calderon. And Chuck says, you know, he gave me the best advice ever. Shut the F up. Yep. And I've heard this story Chuck from Chuck Derek Alatorre. Yeah. yeah and, and Chuck looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, just for the first year, years you're here, you don't know how things run. Shut the F up. And so then he tells a story about how he, he followed it until like the last night of session. And then there was like, you know, he had been a researcher at a law firm on this little narrow issue. Let's, let's make it up and say it was sugarcane policy in Iowa, right? He knew this issue better than anybody on the planet. And a bill comes up and it's on sugarcane policy in Iowa, whatever, right? And the bill goes up for a vote and it hangs. It's like 38 in favor, 38 against, and a few people in voting. So Bill comes up for reconsideration. This is now the second vote. He gets up, throws his mic up, gives a impassioned five-minute speech on all the finer points of this narrow policy issue that he researched at a law firm just a year before. Passionate speech. He's, he's crying. He's, he's tearing up. He's, his voice is changing. They put the vote up again. It's 38 to 38. <laughs> and, and, and he says that Alatorre just walked right by him and said, shut the F up. And, and I think that sums it up very well. Yeah,
0: I think you're right, man. That, that exact, that is how it works. So much so that when you do see it, you do a triple take. Like, what the F? Did that dude just change his vote?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: I'd love to end it on that, Mike, but I can't. Uh-oh. Yeah. That, but that would have been great to end it on. Like, that would have been so smooth. Like, that would have been awesome. And I think that's what you were aiming for. I think he wanted to go out like that. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got me worried what's coming next. No, no, it's not against you. There
0: were just two other things I wanted to mention. Okay. Um, and these are the negatives that they never show, the, cliche, the things that they never show in movies um, that should be shown because they're such a huge part of our life in the industry. And one of those is fundraising. Um, sure. Almost, I don't know what percentage, but I mean, oh my God, such a large part of the time of a legislator and any, you know, most elected officials, but the higher you go, the more I think it takes is um, spending time dialing for dollars. And I think we saw it once, only once have, has, have I seen that. And that was with Mayor Carchetti on the wire, yes, and the wire, where it actually yes. shows him like calling people and how frustrating it is. And, you know, and yes. he comes out of the room and he's like, oh, God, you know, and he hits one and he has a, you know, he, he like jumps for joy. And
1: yes, I mean, yeah. would you agree with that? Yeah, it's like, you know, we we devoted this whole show to the top six bad portrayals or incorrect portrayals of the political world on uh, the screen. You almost have to mention the one that got it right. And that is um, Mayor Carchetti's character in The Wire when it comes to raising money. Uh, There's that one scene where his staff locks him in a room all day. And they say, you cannot come out until you hit this target to pay for our blah, blah, blah. Very accurate. You're calling a lot of people, uh, a lot of you know, guys who own insurance agencies in the district who really don't have any issues, they care about that, but they want to be players. And you're saying, can you give me 250 bucks? And that's that's what life is like running for office.
0: Yeah, so, you know, props to the wire because they, they they nailed that. I think Clay Davis might've been a little over the top. Um,
1: but, but-, but Let's talk a minute about their character names, right? You know, obviously Gray Davis, Clay Davis. Now, very different character. You could argue that he's based on other folks in our world. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the young idealistic kind of, interesting mayor mayor carcetti as opposed to mayor garcetti <laughs> not too much mystery there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, did did they know each other did the writer
0: uh, simon did he know mayor garcetti
1: i suspect he did uh eric garcetti is very well connected in the entertainment industry he went to a, a very uh, well connected prep school here in los angeles i'm sure there's some connection
0: yeah there has to be i mean i've never even heard of the name carcetti before oh,
1: hey, maybe like either.
0: someone who liked me doing a show and having you know a really cool guy named schmintana um <laughs> or, or quintana with a k right
1: right right, right.
0: yeah um <laughs> and then the final wow. thing i want to put in there is how much of our industry is based around the calendar yet when you see um movies and television based on politics like there's never any thought to a calendar Shit just happens right? They just walk up into a committee, present their bill, and they walk off, right? And like in normal life, you got to even see if your bill makes the agenda. Like that's a huge deal. Is my bill even on the agenda? Is it going to come up today? Like half of your time is spent in another committee watching another bill while you're hoping someone is monitoring that committee to let you know when your author has entered the room because now you're going to leave that room, go to that room, wait to, you know, and like none of that. They just walk into the committee room, <laughs> they walk up to the day, you know, and they start, you know, they walk up to the table and start presenting their bill.
1: With the media None intel, of that is real, right? <laughs> but with the media in tow, filming their every move, oh, yeah, okay. right. Doesn't happen. None
0: of that happens. So much of our life is based on a calendar, not just in micro like agenda calendars, but in the macro like everything happens around, you know, um, appropriations or end of session. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen a movie or television where any of that has been portrayed. I don't that know, maybe I'm missing you. and people can let me know what I'm missing, but I would like to see where, where that, the real life aspects of the legislative calendar are, are taken into account.
1: Although I hear some people want to make a movie about uh, the big housing bill's demise at the end of this year's session. Do they? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> too sh- soon, too soon, too soon. <laughs> too right? soon. Yeah.
0: That would be good. That would be good. Um, hey, Mike, this has been fun as always. Um, I know you have another, you have another call to get on. You have another show to go on.
1: I do indeed, but this I, show is my favorite.
0: I know. I really want to thank you for taking the time, to spend with a little Mexican guy like me, just a little squirrel trying to find a nut in this big old tree. You know,
1: David, I've seen your house.
0: Okay. Anyway, on that note, on that note, Thank you. Thanks, Mike. I think this has been fun, and I think this is the first in a series, as we come up with some more uh, some more lists on on politics and what's real and what's not. Thanks, Mike. It was great. It was great to be here. Thanks. Bye bye.